0: Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome to the art of being you. Well, as promised, we are going to be doing a Christmas series for the next couple of weeks, but I decided to do it a little bit differently. I'm actually going to be playing for you today the entirety of a sermon I preached last year at this time in my home church, Bethel OKC. Um, As I went back and re-listened to it, going over my notes for what was going to be this uh, Christmas series on the art of being you, I realized that the way that it was presented the first time would be uh, significantly more helpful, I think, for you than repackaging it into a shorter amount of time. So it's a little bit longer than a normal episode, but I think it's going to be a blessing for you. Now, I don't know if you've ever had time to dig into the Christmas story in the nitty gritty and some of the behind the scenes stuff, but that's what we did with our church last year. So you're going to be hearing some of those messages, um, not only today, but next week and, and the week after really just going back and looking at what was God thinking when Christmas happened for the first time when Jesus was born. And I just have to tell you, I feel like some of the prophecies and some of the things in this message are more poignant today than ever Uh, in this season that we're living in and all the stuff that's going on in the world today. I think it will be a huge blessing to you. So without further ado, you're going to be listening to the live recording from a sermon I preached last year. So this is not a current thing. i um, digging it up out of the archives for you, but it's me on there preaching to my church, Bethel OKC, as we kicked off our Christmas series last year. So uh, yeah, I think you're going to love it and let me know what you think. So we are kicking off our Joy to the World series and I have a prophetic word for all of you and I really believe this is what God wants us to focus on for this Christmas series and it comes out of a scripture. It's on Luke chapter 12 verse 32. We're going to put it on the screen and this is a a big deal to understand. This is Jesus talking about God and he says, fear not little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So look to your neighbor and say, it's his good pleasure. It is God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. In other words, it was a good idea for God to send Jesus into the world, amen? It was something he was excited about. It was something that made God happy to do that for you. So a lot of times when we think about the Christmas season, we think about the drama of the Roman Empire at that time, the difficulty that the Jewish people were encountering, and all of that is true. But sometimes we can lose sight of the joy that was in God's heart to bring Jesus to the earth and so we're going to be unpacking at that the next couple of weeks and I want this to be a scripture that if you like to memorize scripture memorize this one because this is sort of setting the tone for the whole next four weeks of Sundays that we've got remember we don't have church on the 20 uh the 29th the last Sunday of December but for the rest of the time in December we're going to be dealing with God's good pleasure the good idea the joy that was in his heart amen so everybody turn to person next to you and say get ready it's going to be good It's going to be good. A lot of times we focus on the somber parts of Christmas and this year we are focusing on the joyful thing. So here's the deal. When we look at Christmas through God's eyes, we see a God who had this very intricate plan that he had put into motion before the foundation of the world. And so what I'm going to do is we're actually going to look at several scriptures this morning. There's a lot. And I want to talk about the anticipation leading up to the Christmas story. So we're not diving into what happened in Jesus' birth yet. We're diving into what happened in the background, sort of the build-up, the anticipation side, okay? All right, so uh, Jesus' birth, it fits into a larger picture of what's happening in the world. It wasn't just that God was sending his son to the earth. There was something God was doing from when he created the world all the way forward. So Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 has this interesting scripture. This one's coming at you in the Passion Translation on the screen. And it says he chose us to be his very own, joining us to himself even before he laid the foundation of the universe. Now, what does this mean? That means that when God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit were coming up with the idea of you, they already decided that someday we would be united with Jesus, one with him. Okay, So before the earth was even created, this was the decision that was made. I don't know if you ever think about it like this. It's like the rock, paper, scissors of heaven, right? Where it's who's going to be the one that has to go to the earth to live. Jesus gets that one. And then the Holy Spirit has to be the one that lives with us forever. That's why it says that he groans and moans in intercession because he gets to be God on earth with us in process. Thank you, Jesus. But this all happened before creation even happened. And then this is what it's important to understand. When God created the world, we all know if you understand the story of Genesis, that he sin was a possibility right that God created the tree of knowledge of good and evil and he put it in the middle of the buffet line he planted the garden the scripture actually says the tree was in the middle so all the ones you can eat from and then the one you can't and this is the most understated scripture for all eternity when God says to Adam don't eat from that one for in that day you'll surely die and it's just this very simple statement Right. And, and I don't know about you, but if it was me, I would be saying, please, Adam, listen to me, man. This tree is so bad. Don't go near it. Don't touch it. Don't smell it. Don't just pretend it's poisonous, whatever. Or I would plant it like a four day walk away from the rest of the garden. So it's just out of sight, out of mind. You guys are good. You don't need sin. But if that was the case, then God would not truly have free will. Amen. He wouldn't truly be giving you the option to choose him as a better choice because you would be sort of, in essence, a little bit manipulated because who wants to walk across flaming hot coals to get to the tree you're not supposed to eat from? But he didn't do that. And so when he created the garden, he knew sin was a possibility, This is important for us to understand because sometimes we think that God is disappointed in our ability or inability to follow his rules, to follow his way, to stay in line with him, right? We have this thinking that God is somehow going, if you could just get it together, we would all be fine, but that would not be his good pleasure, guys. It was the Father's good pleasure before this was even created, before you even had the opportunity to sin, God dealt with your sin. If we understand this, then we take less pressure on ourselves. Genesis chapter 3, 15 is the first, in my opinion, it's the first prophecy, the first hint of what was going to happen with Jesus coming to the earth. And maybe you've seen this before, maybe you haven't. But God is giving five curses on the serpent after sin came into the world. And this is what he said, And I will put enmity, open hostility, this is the Amplified Version, open hostility between you, the serpent, and the woman, between your seed and her seed. So we understand this to know that it was going to be someone a woman would carry and bear and give birth to. But typically when we think about seed in the context of the Bible, it's usually associated with a man. And I think God was dropping a little hint here about the virgin birth. This is my opinion. He was dropping a little hint. He was going, it's going to be from a woman. So we know that God wants to deal with sin. We know that it was part of his plan all along. But the question is, when does God do this? When does he bring Jesus into the earth? Okay? That's what we're looking at today. You know, the world had been dark before 0 AD. (laughs) Did you know that? Israel had been through very, very dark and bleak times before they were enslaved by the Roman Empire. They weren't really enslaved, but kind of like on house arrest. It was a very, very dark time when Jesus was born, but that wasn't the first and only dark time that had happened, and this is what's important for us to understand. Now, I'm going to push pause on this. I'm going to do a little nerd science tangent for you, okay? This is intentional. Does anybody know who Johannes Kepler is? Anybody? One, two. Oh, you engineers are so brilliant. That's amazing. Johannes Kepler was a scientist and astrologist in the 1600s, early 1600s, and he is the one who created the laws of planetary motion. Okay? He was a God fearing man. God gave him a download of how the planets go in orbit. Now, this is going to come into play, trust me. When he created, when he uh, cracked this code, he cracked the algorithm of how the planets orbit, how we orbit the sun, the distance between them, and the path that they orbit. This was over 400 years ago. This math is still the math that NASA and other astrological programs use to determine where the satellites will be in orbit today. In other words, it was really, really concrete data. It was correct. What they found out, and this is what became the law of planetary motion, was that you can go forward in time or backwards in time and exactly predict where the planets are going to be based on this orbital pattern. Okay. So there's a really interesting documentary out there. It's called The Star of Bethlehem. You can look at it on YouTube if you haven't seen it before. And it's a story of this guy who was a lawyer who went on this quest to figure out what was the star? Was it an astrological event? Was it like the glory of God? hanging in the air? Was it an angel? What was it? And what he found through researching Kepler's planetary motion and a bunch of other things, and the whole story is on this documentary, is that there was a moment in time, at the time historically through the Bible where we predict Jesus was born, that Jupiter and Venus were in orbit in such a way they were so close together, from your naked eye on earth, it would appear as one planet and a very, very bright shining planet. Now, we know the scripture says that it appeared like the star of Bethlehem sat over the city. That's what the scripture tells us. And so he began to say, well, how could that be true? Well, as he studied planetary motion, he discovered that planets go into something called retrograde. Have you ever heard of this? The New Age talks about it. They have some some really, they're afraid of retrograde. We are not afraid of retrograde because stars and planets don't dictate our lives. Amen. God and Jesus dictates our lives, but God created the stars and they do tell a story. So what happens is, Jupiter and Venus at this particular time, they begin to orbit in such a way that it appears from the earth that they're stopped. Here's where it gets really crazy. That same day that all of this is happening, it appears that the moon sits at the base of Virgo, the virgin constellation. While the planets are going kind of back and forth like this, if you look at the motion, it looks like they're forming a crown over the Leo constellation, which is the lion, which would be symbolic of the lion of the tribe of Judah. And it looks like this scepter comes forth in the sky on the day people think Jesus was born. Say What? You can look it up. There's a whole bunch of science. I'm giving you like the 30 second version of an hour and a half documentary. It's really interesting. Now, we don't know this for sure, but it's an incredibly compelling tale. And what he says and why I bring this up is because if that's true, the planets were put into motion when the earth was created, right? And so they've been orbiting on this same pattern year after year from the beginning of time. What that means is before the foundations of the earth were laid, God knew the exact time Jesus would come into the earth. What? But that's what the scripture says, right? Before the foundations of the world, this was the plan. Why is this important for you and me? Because we have to understand God's heart. We have to understand his nature, his character. If we don't get that, then we're constantly trying to interpret the rules based on our behavior instead of our relationship with who he is. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you eight different prophecies that point to Jesus coming, and you're going to see that God knew exactly what he was doing at the exact time that he was doing, wanting to do it, and none of this was a surprise. You guys ready? Ready? The first one comes to us in Numbers 24, verse 17. Now, if you guys are familiar with the story of Balaam and the donkey. So Balaam was a mystic person. Most scholars think he actually came from the Magi where Daniel became the leader of that group in Mesopotamia and eventually the wise men came from. Balaam was a part of this group of people. They were very prophetic but they were also really dabbling in dark things as well. So somebody hires Balaam to go and curse the Israelites and Balaam goes he's riding this donkey and the donkey won't get near the Israelites and the donkey ends up speaking to Balaam this is a really bad idea. That's my paraphrase. And Balaam ends up having a series of three encounters with God where he gives essentially prophecies. And this is the third one. You guys ready to see this? He says, I see him, but not now. He's talking about Jesus. Okay. He's talking about the Messiah. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. He sees prophetically somehow a scepter, which I told you guys, if you look at what was happening in the skies, there was this thing that looked like a scepter and a star coming out of Jacob. What is Jacob? Jacob is Israel. Balaam, who is not a, a believer, he's not in God's tribe, right? God shows him this thing. This happens 1000 years before Jesus is born. Ooh, that's a long time, guys. Now, what I think happened, based on what I can research and whatnot, is that Balaam went back and recorded this in, his, uh, in their sort of scriptures. It's not really scripture, but in their documentation. And Daniel would have come across this, which is going to come to play later. And the wise men would have also had this documentation. And so what is it saying? We're looking for an astrological event that's going to mark something significant. The second prophecy comes to us in Psalm 72, verse 9 and 10. Some people don't really believe this is a prophecy about Jesus. You can do your own research on this, but this is what it says. Desert nomads are bowing at his feet, every enemy falling face down, biting the dust. Thank you, Jesus. Distant kings will surround and come with their gifts from every continent and coastland, and they will offer tribute to you. Don't know about you, but that sounds a lot like when the wise men got there. The next one is, and that happened uh, about a thousand years before Jesus came as well. The next one is Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. You guys are probably familiar with this prophecy. This is Isaiah prophesying about the virgin birth. And he says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So now we have another indication. What I love about this scripture is Isaiah is prophesying with a sense of urgency, right? There's going to be a sign, guys, and the sign is going to be a virgin birth. And this happens 700 years before it happens. God's timeline is not our timeline. When God is saying something urgent, it may be centuries in the making. It's a freebie for you. The next one comes Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. And you guys are probably familiar with this from Christmas stories. For for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now what is this telling us? It's going to be a baby born of a virgin. It's going to be a boy, and this boy will be God. That's what this prophecy is saying. Same time period. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. This one's interesting. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, I can't say that word, who are you too little to be among the clans of Judah? For you shall come forth for me, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Now what is this? Micah, about 800 years before Jesus is born, is prophesying from Bethlehem will come the Son of God. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Here's another clue in our story. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. What does this mean? It's going to be in Jesse's line. King David is Jesse's son. So Isaiah is prophesying this this child will be a boy from a virgin, someone from this particular family line. Again, this is about 700 years before Jesus is born. And then we go 100 years from that to Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5 and 6. i got two more for you. And this one says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord is Righteousness. This particular prophecy happened about 600 years before Jesus was born. And again, it's pointing that it's going to be from Jesse's line. And then we get the cherry on top. You guys ready for this? This one, I'm just going to tell you, you might need to do some research on your own because I don't have enough time to dig into all of it. But this is coming from Daniel chapter 9. We're going to actually look through verse 24 through 26. You guys ready? This is what it says. Before I read this, let me tell you, Daniel was having an encounter with the angel of Gabriel, and it was Gabriel that was telling this. It's a crazy story. He was really, like, wringing his hands, trying to figure out this prophecy in Jeremiah that he couldn't understand. He was seeking God, and God sent him the angel of Gabriel to explain it, and this is what he says. Seventy weeks of years, or 490 years. Now, it would take me a long time to explain with the Hebrew calendar, but that's what 70 weeks means, is 490 years. Have been decreed for your people and for your holy city, Jerusalem, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make atonement, reconciliation for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and prophet, and to anoint the most holy place. Let's go to the next one. So you are to know and understand that from the issuance of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the coming of the Messiah, the prince, will, there will be 70 weeks of years and 62 weeks of years. And it will be built again with a city, a plaza, an moat, even in times of trouble. And this is the last one. Then after the 62 weeks of years, the anointed one will be cut off and denied his messianic kingdom and have nothing and no one to defend him. And the people of the other prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end will come with the flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. All right, let me sum this up for you. This is a prophecy about Jesus's life. Jesus actually was born at the end of these 70 weeks. He actually went to the cross at the point in this calendar where it says the week where he was cut off. That was the time that he went to the cross. You can do all this research for yourself. It's out there. It's really compelling. But here's what's fascinating. Gabriel comes to Daniel and tells him, this is the year Jesus will be born. And he will be the end of sin. Did you guys catch that? In the verse 24 in the first one. Put that first part up again if you don't mind, Tim. <clears throat> the Daniel part one. It says, uh, to bring an everlasting righteousness, uh, is that the one? Yeah, to make an end of sins. So now what is all of this telling us? This paints a pretty obvious picture, but it's being painted over a 500-year timeline with multiple different prophets. But if you were paying attention to the scripture, you would know the family, the city, the type of birth, and the year that the Messiah would be born. It's all there. It's going to be from this particular family, from the line of Jesse. It's going to be a virgin birth. Well, those don't come around very often. It's going to be from Bethlehem. Are you guys tracking with me? God knew before he set the world into motion exactly how, exactly when, exactly why he would send Jesus into the earth, and he created the planets to respond to that. That's our God. It's phenomenal to me. When I look at this, it makes me just sit back and say, Lord, you are infinitely more than we could even comprehend on a good day. We had the privilege of being in Israel, I don't know, I think it was about five years ago. And we were traveling with a Jewish scholar and he was telling us, he was pointing at this particular part of the temple and he said, you know, had the Jews counted the calendar from when Daniel made this prophecy, they would have known when Jesus was born and when he was was killed. Because it's exactly as it was in that prophecy. And he said, but what happened was they quit paying attention. What in, this, in this particular prophecy in Daniel, what happens is Gabriel says, I'm essentially opening up, God is opening up this 490-year window for you to repent. Now remember, this prophecy came 500 years before the birth of Jesus. So that's pretty accurate. and God was opening up this window for the people to repent. And they didn't, really. And they ended up, Cyrus had to be raised up to bring them back to Israel so that Yahweh could have worship. Excuse me. And then they end up being overtaken by different governments, eventually the Roman government. And that's where they land in the landscape of Jesus' birth. The Israelites were really broken into four different factions. They had the Pharisees who were mostly familiar with in the New Testament. They were very legalistic. They had the Sadducees who were very religious but not very legalistic. Then you had the Essenes who lived in these caves. They lived very holy lives, and they spent their lives riding what is now the Dead Sea Scrolls. And then you had the Zealots who were militant, but they just weren't looking at it correctly. And it begs the question, is this what you were looking for, God? Is the state of Israel at this particular time period what you were really going for from the beginning? I don't think so. I think what happened... I think what happened is that the people stopped paying attention. They weren't prepared for what God had said he was going to do. He didn't just say it once. In fact, there's over 300 prophecies related to Jesus' birth, ministry, life, death, and resurrection. 300, he fulfilled every single one. So there's no shortage of information. Where does the shortage come from? In the hearts of the people who are willing to take God at his word. That's my question for you and I today. What is God promising you, and what are you doing to stand in that? I can't imagine what it would be like to be Daniel. In he's been in exile. He was taken from his land. Israel was gone effectively. Nebuchadnezzar had come in. They had looted the temple of all the precious things that belonged to God. They'd gotten. They just destroyed everything. And here he is having this moment with an angel who's telling him the year the Messiah would be born. And all these years later, people lose sight of it, and Israel ends up being effectively in disarray when Jesus comes. There's about a 400-year window, as we've just looked at, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I don't know if you guys have heard this before, but a lot of people call that like the silent time period, where there wasn't a lot of the living word or the people of God weren't being led as they were in the beginning chapters of the Old Testament. But I think it's important for us to note that that was not God's heart. We have a choice of how we respond to the Lord, how we connect with him, how we align with him, and that determines what we get from our relationship with him. He has laid out his way, and if we choose not to follow that way, that's really on us, amen? When Jesus makes this statement in John chapter 10, this is crazy, he makes this statement, and he says, my sheep hear my voice. Now to you and I, that's a good statement because we're very familiar with the idea that God speaks. But to the people in that time frame coming after 400 years of no clear direction of God's voice, this was radical. And I believe what Jesus was doing was saying, listen, I want to show you who my father really is. He didn't distance himself from you. You distanced yourself from him. And this is who he is. If you belong to him, you have access to him. You have the ability to hear his voice. Listen, if it's true for them, then it's 100% true for you and I today. Amen? The anticipation is is really phenomenal to me. And I don't have the scripture reference for this, and so I'm just going to paraphrase it because I don't want to tell the story wrong. But essentially, there's at least one person who was paying attention to the times. And it's this old guy. Do you remember his name? There's two people that get to meet Jesus when he comes to the temple, and it's the prophetess Anna, and there's another guy, and I, I think his name starts with a J, but it's, I've slept since I've thought about this, so I'm sorry. Um, I'll post this on our Facebook page later so you can see this, but essentially, he made a promise with God, and God made a promise with him that you will see the Messiah before you die. Now, this is a radical thing if Jesus coming to the earth was just to spin the wheel and see when it happens, because you're going to live forever. That's a crazy promise. I think this man was one of just a few men who were paying attention to the prophecies in Daniel, to the prophecies in Numbers and Psalm and Isaiah and Micah and Jeremiah. And so he knew, oh, it's in my lifetime this is possible. Let's give or take a couple years just to be on the safe side. But I could actually live and see this. He was old in his age. And what happened was... Jesus and, and, well, Mary and Joseph are bringing the baby Jesus. He's eight days old. They're bringing him into the temple to dedicate him, to connect with the family, to pay the newborn tax. It's Two turtle doves, just in case you wonder where that came from in the song. And so they pay the two turtle doves. Now, if you've ever been to Israel or you've ever been to a football game, the temple is really big, guys. It's a huge huge thing. It's like a football stadium. There's lots of entrances and exits. There's a ton of people going in and out all the time. This one guy happens to be standing at the right gate at the right time when Joseph and Mary are bringing sweet baby Jesus in and he gets to have that promise fulfilled to lay his eyes on the one that he knew was coming. He knew would be born in Bethlehem. He knew would be born of a virgin. He knew it'd be from Jesse's line. He knew it all because he was paying attention. And God honors that promise to him. Isn't that amazing? I mean, if you think about it, Jesus was probably in that temple like a very few amount of times that first year of his life. And this old guy happened to be at the right place at the right time. How? It was God. God fulfilling his promise. And as I was thinking about the anticipation and the buildup and the expectation that our father in his good pleasure had to bring Jesus to the world, all I could think about was this guy. God's goodness on him. So it doesn't matter at what point you are in your life, at what point you're at, and and how long you've been believing for the promises. If you will stay faithful to what God has said, he will make sure you just happen to be standing there at the right time when the Messiah walks by. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing to think about just the intentionality of that. The prophetess Anna, she also got to be one of the people to lay hold of uh, and and see baby Jesus. And what's phenomenal about this is that how encouraging was it for this man? How encouraging was it for Mary and Joseph that there was somebody else paying attention? There was somebody else aware of what was going on. We're going to talk next week a lot about the wise men and some more about this astrological event. And it's pretty fascinating. I encourage you to be here in person to, to see it and hear it. But what I want to end on this morning is just to look at what do these prophecies tell us about who God is. What does it tell us about his good pleasure, about his good nature? The first one, the first thing we learn from this is that God means what he says, amen? He means it. Nothing is wasted. I just think when he's telling the serpent, dude, you blew it. Here's all the five curses that are coming on you. And guess what? Little hint, you'll figure this out later. There's going to be a virgin birth. You know, I love that. It's like, you, can you see God as a good dad just being like, I'll just drop this in right here. I'm going to go a couple hundred years later. I'm going to do this donkey thing and I'm going to talk to this donkey and I'll just drop it in. And I'll just drop in some hints some more with Isaiah. And I'll just tell the story, right? It's not because, it's, it's because of this. Because Jesus was always the point of hope. And he is still always the point of hope. So every time Israel was in need, what happened? A a messianic prophecy to point you to Jesus. It's still the same today. So God means what he says. The second thing is that he disperses his word among us. Amen? There's not one person that got the corner. I mean, Isaiah did get a little bit of a bigger portion of what was happening with Jesus. But it wasn't just Isaiah. This, this picture of who Jesus would be was spread out all throughout the prophets. He disperses his word among us because he wants us to need each other. He's doing this on purpose, guys. So when you're looking at what you need in your life, just know you might, not, you might need someone else's uh, input. You might need someone else's prophetic input to get where you're going. And the third thing is this. He is unfazed by the state of our chaos. God was not sitting back going, oh, shoot, I gave him 490 years to repent and they didn't do it. What do I do now? I've already set the planets in motion. There's going to be this big bright star that's going to align with half these prophecies. And what, do I just try again? No. No. He is unfazed by the chaos of our lives. He will do what he said he will do, and he'll do it whether or not we're ready. Amen? So I want to end by just taking some time to pray, um, to pray over you guys. I don't know what kind of promises are on your heart. I don't know what things God has spoken to you about, but I do know that if he said it, he means it. And if he said it and continued to confirm it, then he really does mean it. It's already set into motion. Amen? So let's do this. Just put your hand on your heart for me and just say, Jesus, you can pray in your heart. Just Jesus, we just want to be filled with anticipation of you this Christmas season. And Lord, we want to understand your good pleasure. We want to see glimpses of your good pleasure. We invite your goodness into our lives this morning in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would open our eyes to how magnanimous and beautiful our God is. And Lord, we're asking over each, and I'm asking over each and every person in this room and listening to this right now that's dealing with difficulty and frustration and chaos, I'm asking, Lord, that you would release your peace into their home in the name of Jesus. You would release your peace into their relationships. You would release your expectation into them, and you would cause their eyes to come a little bit higher to understand who you are in this season for them. Lord, we ask for your blessing to rest on us so that we can be a blessing to others. And Lord, we are just giddy and excited about encountering you in this Christmas season. In Jesus' name,